Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Mental Health Monday is an informational podcast and should not be used to replace the specialized training and professional judgment of a healthcare or mental health care professional. Mental Health Monday can't be held responsible for the use of the information provided. Please always consult a trained mental health professional before making any decision regarding treatment of yourself or others. Self-help information and podcasts and information on the internet is useful, but it's not always a substitute for professional assistance. Unless otherwise noted, guests of Mental Health Monday are not doctors or licensed in any way. Our hope is to make a connection with you and be more open and honest about everyone's mental health. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to another Mental Health Monday, a podcast where we talk openly and honestly about mental health, specifically men. That's why the men in mental health is capitalized, because dudes suck at talking about their feelings, and that's got to change. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Now, with that being said, anyone, man, woman, old, young, any size, shape, color of human being can get something and will definitely learn something on any given Mental Health Monday. My name is Riggs from 103.7 KISS FM in Milwaukee, and the Riggs off the radio podcast. You know, last week we talked to Dr. Bradley Riemann. He's the chief clinical officer for Rogers Behavioral Health. He specializes in OCD and anxiety disorders. So last week we broke down obsessive compulsive disorder, living with that, dealing with it, breaking it down the definition, the mental health stigmas. This week we're jumping into anxiety. Anxiety disorders are real illnesses that are based on extreme fear, and they affect three things they affect the body. They affect your thoughts, and they affect your behaviors. We'll discuss some of the common types of anxiety disorders. Because over 21% of adults between the ages of 18 and 64 will have a diagnosable anxiety disorder in a given year. That's over 42 million people, which, I looked it up, is more than the amount of people who subscribe to Netflix in 2015. Hey, where do you get your info? Mentalhealthamerica.net, that's where. We'll also talk about determining the difference between just being stressed out and having an actual anxiety disorder. Anyone can suffer from anxiety. It doesn't discriminate. It's not just a chick thing. Guys can have anxiety too. And there's nothing wrong with asking for help, reaching out to somebody, getting out, doing some exercise, distracting yourself, or listening to a Mental Health Monday podcast. I'll save you the time of asking a doctor what anxiety actually is because I went and talked to one for you. A lot of the times for Mental Health Monday, we're not doctors. We're just dudes talking about mental health. I'll have a lot of guys on the podcast talking about their struggles with addiction or anxiety, depression. Maybe they've struggled with suicide. Just two dudes talking because we need to have open, honest conversations about mental health. But this week, we're actually talking to a doctor, Dr. Bradley Riemann. Please, sir, give us your credentials. Well, I did my undergraduate uh, work at Carroll University in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And then I did uh, my master's and PhD work in clinical psychology at the Chicago Medical School. Wonderful. And you've been with Rogers for... How long 21 now? 21 years last month. Wonderful. 
and you know what you're talking about. I hope so. So thanks for being a guest again yeah, for uh, Mental for Health Monday. Me. Anxiety mm-hmm. this is what we're going to kind of discuss today and tackle anxiety. And I think before we get into it too much, you brought up something, which is a, a great point, the difference between anxiety and just general stress. So mm-hmm. can you, you want to kind of give that explanation really quick? The moral of the story is that, of course, everyone has stress in their lives. And, sure. And, and some people are fortunate enough to have lower levels, and some people have a lot of, of stress in their lives. And and stress uh, can come in in different ways. It can come in, you know, kind of the classic negative packages that we all think about, like you lose your job, you, you get divorced, your, yeah, get an F on a, a test, you get and then, a breakup, exactly. But then sometimes stress can come in positive packages, like a promotion, mm-hmm. getting married, having a, a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all of these positive things in life that make life worth living, but also are changes, and by definition, can create a lot of stress. And so again, you know, stress is uh, is kind of a uh, a normal part of life. Um, I do think, though, that uh, in society today and the, and the lifestyles that we uh, endure, I think we're under more stress than we've ever been. I well, mean, if I look at, you know, say my my kids' lifestyles and their calendars compared to when I was their age, I mean, it's there's a lot of stress in our society. There's no question. And then differentiating that that from say anxiety disorders. Um, you know, uh, things w- where, where someone is, is suffering so much anxiety that, again, it begins to really disrupt their lives. And uh, uh, and, and that's certainly, you know, where, what I'm assuming we're going to want to talk sure, a little yeah. bit more about today. So when does stress turn into anxiety? Yeah. Is that what happens? Basically, it's, does it start with stress and then it turns into anxiety or does it is anxiety no. kind of always there? Yeah, that's the million dollar question. I mean, I, I think, you know, again, stress is kind of unavoidable. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, going back to the conversation about positive things, we wouldn't want to avoid that stress. I mean, right? Uh, that's, that's again what makes life worth living. Um, and so it's it's inevitable. It's everywhere. Uh, we we all experience it. And and the million dollar question is is you know um, uh, does someone have to have some sort of say biological predisposition to having an anxiety disorder? for that to happen. And when we're talking about anxiety disorders, we might be talking about something like social anxiety disorder where someone is very afraid that they are going to say or do something uh, that would be embarrassing and they fear that they would be rejected uh, or generalized anxiety disorder where people, uh, you know, kind of the worry wart syndrome where people worry so much they're consumed with this kind of unrealistic and excessive worry about multiple life areas. So they're very worried about finances, even though they're actually quite comfortable financially so it's again it's excessive uh, and unrealistic you know does does someone have to have kind of a biological predisposition or or the way I kind of describe it kind of almost like this biological gasoline that then maybe environmental matches kind of strike on fire Uh, or can someone have so much stress in their anxiety in their lives that even without say this kind of biological predisposition it can kind of turn into an anxiety disorder and it really is kind of a million dollar question i mean it's kind of the similar thing is you know some people say well no matter how bad your cold gets it's never going to turn into cancer right and so some people believe that well no matter how much stress you have if you don't have that biological gasoline it's not going to develop into an anxiety disorder and of course other people feel that uh that, that that's not necessary and, and you know honestly Riggs the truth is usually somewhere in between right yeah. I mean and 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 I think that uh, inevitably if there's enough unmanaged stress in someone's life it's probably going to begin to interfere with their life and their functioning so once you realize that it is interfering with your life that's when you would probably say 
it's time to talk to somebody to see if exactly. this is a disorder. Yeah, that's kind of the tipping point, right? And 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 you know, keep in mind, um, you know, clearly, if if someone, say, for example, has so much social anxiety that they're skipping class because they're trying to avoid a presentation in history class, or someone's turning down promotions because they're going to have to do some public speaking, or or these kind of things. You know, clearly that would be the time, you know, you'd want to get help. But again, even people who are under a tremendous amount of stress probably need to be thinking about taking better care of themselves and whether that's just even, you know, popping into their general practitioner's office and and, and just becoming a healthier person, eating better, sleeping better, exercising more. I mean, you know, you can't never underestimate the power of just good old general health. So people that have a general anxiety disorder or like Mm -hmm. you said, um, a social anxiety disorder, um, what are some things that kind of trigger those? Some of our patients will say that, you know, they kind of remember an incident in their life that kind of got things rolling, but many of them don't. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it just, it, it and, and, and for some of our patients, it's like this enduring tendency that they'll say, I've always been like this. And other people say, no, nah, not really until I got to college. Now, the thing about social anxiety is it is definitely more of a pediatric onset kind of problem, a childhood onset. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the anxiety disorders, you know, kind of the most common age of onset is maybe late teens, early 20s. But for social anxiety, it, it definitely seems to be more of, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. Really, if you think about it, that's kind of when the light bulb kind of goes on in, in young kids' heads that we should be kind of aware of what we're saying and doing. I mean, as little yeah. kids, if you go into a first grade classroom, everything's perfect because they're just kind of their own people. They don't really necessarily care about what other people think yep. and that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, around when you get 10, 11, 12, you start worrying about how you're dressed, what you're saying, what your hair looks like, what kind of music you listen to. And so right around that time, that light switch gets on. And that's, of course, for someone who, let's just say, may be biologically predisposed to having social anxiety disorder, that's the time those concerns and fears kick in. Right. People talk sometimes about having anxiety attacks. I've yeah. even heard of some people with anxiety attack what is oh yeah how does that happen yeah and what is that like yeah well keep in mind uh 50 of the u.s population will have a panic attack in the next year really uh so a panic attack is this kind of sudden rush of fear associated with a lot of physical symptoms increases in heart rate hot sweaty uh, heart palpitations maybe dizzy shaky and it just it, it just kind of comes upon people in a rush-like fashion. And so, again, kind of getting back to our lifestyles, I mean, we, we're creating a lifestyle of stress, and half of us will have a panic attack in the next uh, in the next year. Now, most people who have a panic attack, however, can kind of just put that aside and go, wow, you know, I've been burning the you know the candle at both ends. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to go home and watch the Brewer game tonight and relax, and they kind of feel better. But then there's also this condition known as panic disorder, which is another anxiety disorder, which is recurrent panic attacks, where these things kind of keep hitting people over and over again. And unfortunately, they begin to kind of misinterpret what's happening. Remember, I mentioned all those physical symptoms that they're experiencing. They start thinking, geez, I wonder if there's something wrong with my heart. Right. Or or I wonder if I'm going to pass out or lose control or, or, you know. Uh, and, or go crazy. So they kind of misinterpret these recurrent panic attacks as something really bad happening, and it kind of just fuels itself. So panic attacks are common. They're they're pretty alarming kinds of things. Uh, but it's also kind of your body saying, you know what, maybe you need to take better care of yourself. Is that something? Uh, is there something somebody could do in that instance that kind of calm themselves down? Is that where that kind of the breathing would come in? You think? Oh, there's no question. Yeah, I mean, breathing is a bit of a, a of the tail that wags the dog when yeah. it comes to panic attacks. And and you know, one of the little tricks of the human body is 
is when you're really, really anxious, it feels like you're not getting enough air when in fact you're actually getting a little too much. And so you tend to kind of gulp air and it just kind of makes the problem worse. But you know, slowing down your breathing and just kind of taking a step back and, and, and just realizing that your body's not actually broken. It's doing what it's supposed to be doing, sure. which is kind of telling you, hey, something's going on here. You got to take better care. So. Yeah, let's take a break on that. The stigmas around anxiety, again, kind of like we talked about OCD a couple yeah. weeks ago. Um, how do you feel that the stigmas about anxiety, do you feel that they're negative only because people confuse anxiety with stress? So you yeah. have maybe patients coming in thinking they have anxiety disorder. When they just need to take a little, take it a little easy, like you said. Yeah, yeah, but you know, honestly, Riggs, most people don't come in for treatment, uh, you know, prematurely. I mean, most people probably aren't coming in when they don't really need to. In fact, there's probably lots of people who aren't coming in that should. I mean, I think if there's an error, they err on not coming in than over coming in, so to speak. Um, you know, but the stigma, I think, in, in particular, is like with social anxiety. Oh, they're just shy. You know. Or uh, they just got to kind of pick themselves up by their bootstraps. They just got to toughen up. They just got to gut their way through it. Yeah. it it's, it's really a profound level of fear um, and, and fear that many of us maybe can't really relate to. Um, and, and so it's, it's not that easy. I mean, if it was that easy, they would do it. You know, and I think um, it, just that, that somehow it's like a like a weakness or a flaw in their personality, um, when in fact it's certainly not. No, not at all. Yeah. So it's always better to err on the side of talking to someone Absolutely. and seeking out help. Absolutely. Men do that a lot too, by the way. Men, well, are, the, men are the worst. Men are the worst yeah. when it comes to anxiety because, again, kind of it's a weakness thing, and 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 there is the the macho kind of thing, and and uh, and men are men tend to not want to talk about it. Um, and unfortunately, men also tend to medicate their, their anxiety with drugs and alcohol yeah. at, a, at a higher rate because their anxiety is still there. They're not talking to anybody about it, and they try to mask it. Um, but, you know, they, they, and, and, and women are so much smarter about that they stuff are. than we are. And, and, and They're better at and, talking and, through and things, too. And they talk with each other about these things, and they support each other. And, and one of the things I think everybody finds when they do talk about it is uh, everybody can relate to it. Um, they've either gone through some problems themselves or they've had a close family friend uh, or a, a family member who've had similar problems. I, I would I would think it would be very, very unlikely that you could talk to somebody about anxiety and they would really not have any idea what you're talking about. Yeah. How do you think men can help? Do you think it's men helping other men getting better? Or is it a generational thing that you think will go away? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you know, certainly... Uh, you know, there's a there's a great benefit to talking about these things, and and again, I don't necessarily even mean informal therapy, but just kind of you know talking about things. Guys do things together. Guys don't talk about things, right? And, yeah. and you know, you go golfing, but you don't really talk with each other. You just talk about the Brewer game or whatever it might be. Um, but there is a great benefit to, to talking about things, and and it's and it's tough. And generationally, is it'll be very interesting because I think kids today. Are, are definitely more open uh, about things. And, and and sometimes that openness may start off on social media where there's kind of that little bit of that veil of privacy. I mean, it's not like you're, you're, you're sitting across the table from someone and disclosing something like this. But I think kids today seem to be much more open about things. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a good thing and a healthy thing in the long run. Right. Well, we're all having discussions about it, which is good, too. Yeah, exactly. So someone having maybe thinking that they have an anxiety disorder, uh, reaching out to somebody at Rogers or just somebody in general just to talk mm -hmm. about it. It's a good idea to do. So Absolutely. 
In a previous episode, I talked to Dr. Riemann about obsessive compulsive disorder. This week, we discussed anxiety, and Dr. Riemann actually founded the Center for Anxiety Disorders in Brookfield, Wisconsin. It's a place for treatment, research, and training, and a place that people can go to help get their anxiety disorders under control. Fascinating, right? Being that it's Mental Health Monday, and I'm talking to mostly men, I was curious... Does he see more women than men come in for treatment at the Center for Anxiety Disorders? You know, I think uh, men do have kind of unique stresses in their lives and Mm -hmm. pressures in their lives um, and uh, are not as likely to disclose this as we've mentioned in previous conversations that you and I have had and, and as a result, sadly, are not as likely to seek treatment. Um, and, and for the most part, depending on which of the anxiety disorders you're talking about, they're, they're equally as prevalent in men and women. So yeah. it's not like men are immune to these things. They are less likely to talk about it. As a result, they're less likely to seek treatment. The good news is, is if they do seek treatment, they're just as likely to get better sure. as, as women. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of these things where, um, you know, I think getting the word out about these things is such a benefit to so many people and in particular as you said um you know getting more men to to realize that it's it's not a weakness there's nothing to be ashamed of and 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 there's a lot of very very helpful treatment no i go to a support group it's uh for survivors of suicide Mm -hmm. and every time there's maybe 15 or 20 people three men maybe four and i'm like we need more we, we need, need more, more in there. Yeah. So for you, uh, you have the Center for Anxiety Disorders. Yeah. And uh, what kind of uh, mental illnesses would you kind of help manage there? Because yeah. it's kind of, a, is it a branch of Rogers? I don't well, want to mistake. Techni- yeah, it's technically uh, two different entities. So okay. so before I came to Rogers 21 years ago, I had my practice, the Center for Anxiety Disorders. And and, uh, and I've been able to kind of uh, continue the direction of that. Uh, I'm full-time at Rogers, so I don't see patients there anymore. But we have a, a team of clinicians. They're highly trained. Uh, providing that kind of traditional one or two hours of treatment a week. And so by the name of it, we treat anxiety disorders, uh, primarily uh, a lot of obsessive compulsive disorder, social anxiety disorder, uh, generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder. Uh, so we kids and adults, um, kind of that typical dose using um, cognitive behavior therapy, teaching techniques, uh, training techniques to to overcome these conditions. And, and uh and when I was practicing in this uh, clinic many years ago, uh, one of the things that was frustrating is that uh, you know some of our patients needed more than one or two hours a week. In other words, we think of dose commonly when we're talking about medication, but we generally don't think about dose when we're looking at what we would call kind of psychotherapy or psychosocial treatment. Sure, but it's it's just as relevant. You know, the more severe and complicated the anxiety condition is, the more effective treatment they need, the more cognitive behavior therapy they right. need. And so we were, you know, doing really well with a lot of our patients, one or two hours a week. And there was this subset that we knew needed more, um, but we couldn't really provide uh, in in our clinic. So we began to partner with Rogers um, in developing more intensive treatments, the, 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 the treatments that, again, only a subset of people with anxiety require, but was sadly lacking uh, here in southeastern Wisconsin. And so it's been a great combination and I again I've been here at Rogers full time and we've developed what we would call intensive outpatient uh, treatment which is 12 to 15 hours of treatment a week day treatment which is six hours a day five days a week and even residential 
care mm-hmm. for the very, very impaired people. That uh, and we get people from all over the country that come in for those programs, where people will actually come and live with us for forty-five to sixty days on, uh, on site. Or is there a different? Is it like a Ronald McDonald House? No, nope, no, they they come and stay right at Rogers. Wow. Uh, and and so we have uh, a childhood program. It's the only one of its kind in the country. Uh, we have an adolescent program, which is one of two in the country. And an adult program, which is only one of two in the country. So they're very unique programs um, set up. In, and, and at this point, we've got all the bases covered. We can treat all ages. We can treat all levels of severity and complexity. And and it's a it's a nice combination because, of course, uh, if people are local and they need more intensive treatment, they can come to Rogers. But then they could step back down into the Center for Anxiety Disorders to kind of finish the job. I was curious with so many subsets of anxiety disorders, is it difficult to sit down with somebody who comes in seeking help to pinpoint and understand exactly what it is they're dealing with? I would think that would be a really lengthy process. Yeah, so, so the assessment piece is, is, is actually maybe not as complicated as you might think, really? especially especially for you know a team of people who've been doing it a long time. And so, uh, you know, for the most part, um, in, in a face-to-face meeting, 45 to 60 minutes, we can really pretty well sort all of that out. And, and for getting back to the Rogers piece, again, many of our patients come from literally all over the world and so then that's done over the phone uh so we don't ask someone to fly in from california to be assessed and then for us to say wow i'm sorry we can't help you You we we do that over the phone uh no we can we can actually pinpoint it pretty quickly it's you know sometimes it's a little more complicated and requires some follow-up but uh for the most part it again through experience we can we can identify it pretty quickly sure are there some things that people can do on their own kind of like almost self-helping yeah. kind of to trigger things or oh, yeah. maybe troubleshoot ahead of time like yeah, maybe yeah. i don't know if an online quiz or something like that yep. have you seen those before yeah, absolutely yeah no there's some really great online resources um and there's two websites in particular i would encourage people to go to there's something called the anxiety and depression association of america adaa.org uh, i believe is their website and they have all sorts of great information on their website about the different anxiety disorders um, and resources in terms of self-help books, etc. There's also the International OCD Foundation, um, and uh, their website has a lot of information about obsessive compulsive disorder and related mm-hmm. disorders. Uh, those would be the two websites, certainly. And, and, you know, even going to a bookstore, I mean, there, there's a lot of good self-help books that, uh, uh, again, if nothing else, like you said, it can help kind of people connect some dots and, and maybe kind of realize that, you know, maybe, maybe this is a problem that I need to go see somebody sure. with. Uh, and then you mentioned a, a, a suicide support group. Um, support groups can really help people. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, there's strength in numbers. Um, there, there's something to be said for being able to speak to people who can relate with whatever yeah. you know problems someone's having and and uh never never underestimate the impact of those kinds of things too that's why i sought out as a poor group I've, i work better in a group setting i think in something like that because mm-hmm. like you said everybody it's a commonality everybody's yeah. experienced it i think on different levels but still it's yeah. the common knowing all that together uh, why yeah. do you think there's such a horrible stigma around mental health yeah that's a great question i mean i, I just think uh it you know, the research in mental health is has lagged behind uh, traditional medicine. Um, for some reason, human beings have always tried to separate out mind from body. They, they, they've seen that, you know, illnesses of the mind are somehow different, yeah. you know, than, than, they, than illnesses of the body, so to speak. Diabetes is different than bipolar disorder or whatever it might be. And I think the, the more we do research, the more we find that psychiatric problems are medical problems just like all those others and the, the the less we separate out mind from body the better 
One of the really fascinating things about stigma, unfortunately, is, uh, you know, it's kind of the fear of the unknown. Um, and, uh, you know, people then try to avoid people with mental illness, so they never really get to know them, and, and it kind of perpetuates itself. And then sadly, uh, there's actually, interestingly, a, a quite a bit of stigma about mental illness, even within mental health practitioners. Really? Yeah. And, and so they've done some research that, that, that has kind of found this bizarre thing and, 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 and not necessarily always in the, the, the traditional ways that you might think, but, but in ways that uh, aren't very helpful to the patients, very counterintuitive. That's fascinating in itself. I mean, we're trying to break the stigma with mental health in society. They're trying to break the stigma with mental health within the mental health professionals. But going back to the men, I wanted to ask you as a doctor, what is something that men can do to help men talk about their feelings and getting help? The idea is, is we just talked about stigma and, and uh, you know, as a sufferer, I mean, they, they can't perpetuate the stigma either. I mean, yeah. they, they, they have to stop separating out mind from body. Uh, if, if, you know, they're, they develop tennis elbow because they're playing tennis and they've got to go to a doctor, they do it immediately because uh, they want to get back out on the yeah. tennis court. Um, if you develop a, a behavioral health problem, whether it's anxiety or depression or whatever it may be, uh, you know, I, I don't know why anyone would look at it any differently. And, yeah. and part of it too, though, I think Griggs is that, um, I think most people think, well, if I have tennis elbow, I know my doctor can help me. I, I know I can get in there and get some anti-inflammatories and my elbow's going to be back to normal in a couple of weeks and I'll be back out there playing tennis. I think there's this this fear or belief that, that we can't say the same about behavioral health conditions. Yeah. When in fact, you know, psychiatry and psychology have advanced so much in the last 50 years, we have very disorder-specific treatments that have been found to be very effective through research. And, and so again, knowing that there's help and hope, um, I think we'll, we'll also drive more people in, but it's, it's just time to let our guard down as men and just realize yeah. it's okay to say you have problems with mood or anxiety. When you see high profile uh, like suicides, say Anthony Bourdain, Kate yeah. Spade were two big ones in a week. Yeah. Uh, do you notice, um, you may not know the answer, but maybe an influx of people starting to reach out for help? Has there been kind of a little bit of a shift to people reaching out more and saying, I may have an issue with my anxiety or my depression? You know, first of all, I would say the one thing that was very obvious that there seemed to be a lot more kind of public outcry yeah. that we've got to do something. And so you know, hopefully something positive can come out of those tragedies. But, but so there was definitely a public outcry. Um, you know, have we seen necessarily an uptick in, in phone calls to say Rogers? Um, not that I'm aware of, but right. that doesn't mean it hasn't happened. But there's definitely a public outcry. And, and with public outcry, you can get movement. And I know that certainly, you know, one of the things that we've spent a, a, a great deal of time talking about and beginning to kind of investigate is suicide risk. Um, uh, unfortunately, the most the, the state of the art suicide risk assessments uh, that we have today, uh, it's it, it can only predict about fifty two percent. So it's basically a coin toss. Yeah. Uh, so we've got to get a lot better at it, and and we're uh, actually partnering with uh, with some with some different agencies and, and and organizations to try to improve that. You're basically saying a way to predict, or maybe hopefully someday prevent suicides. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and we're we're looking to use data. We're we're looking to use big data, social media data. And, and to try to build algorithms, actually, to, to kind of help better predict this. Because, uh, 
Um, it is uh, a serious problem uh, in many sectors of our world, um, in the youth, in the military. Um, the military especially, too. Yeah, 22 veterans a day, that number's still out there. It's just terrible, isn't it? And so, you know, if we can better predict and, and engage people early and help them, um, I mean, that would, that, that would be pretty neat. And, and like I said, one of the things that we're, we're trying to do is, is uh, you know, Rogers sees like 20,000 patients a year. We have these massive data sets. And, and, if, and if we can, you know, use research to kind of crunch that data and partner with these, these companies that crunch big data, yeah. right? Uh, and then I think, I think we can maybe move the needle here. And, I, and that's one of, one of the hopes that hopefully we can play a role in being able to better assess that risk. Thank you again to Dr. Riemann and everybody at Rogers Behavioral Health. They've been very supportive of Mental Health Monday. And thank you to you. If you feel like you need help, reach out to somebody. Talk to somebody. If you feel like you're in crisis, there's always the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. Or if you're not comfortable talking, you can always text hello to 741-741. Someone's always listening. Don't be in the dark. You're not alone. It's not cool to suck it up anymore. It's time to talk about your problems. Talk about your feelings doesn't make you any less of a person. In fact, it makes you stronger to reach out for help. There's no weakness in reaching out for a helping hand and saying, hey, can somebody talk to me about this? Am I okay? Are you okay? Thank you for listening to another Mental Health Monday. Next week, we're talking to Greg Washington. He's a pastor at Emmanuel Church. He's also a board member for Mental Health America Wisconsin. We'll talk to Greg about his struggle with anxiety, the stigma behind mental health in the African-American community, and how he deals with mental health with his church. That's all next week on a brand new episode of Mental Health Monday. Enjoy the rest of your day, afternoon, morning, shower, workout, whatever you're doing. Really appreciate you listening. I'm Riggs. You can catch me weekday mornings with Riggs and Alley on 103.7 Kiss FM in Milwaukee. The podcast is rigsofftheradio.com. Always remember, make good life decisions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.